Good morning. You know, each year, all of the modern dictionaries pick a word to summarize the year. Typically, November, December, those words start coming out, and it's kind of funny to see how they summarize the year that passed. For a number of uh, dictionaries in 2020, the word was unprecedented, a word that I'm glad I hadn't heard in a long time as I was thinking about it this week. In, in 2021, they, they use, many of them use the word perseverance. Um, but if I had been picking words, one of those words that would have been a word for 2020 or 2021 would have been this word, the word shortage. Because everywhere we looked, we were experiencing shortages. I know all of us experienced the, the TP shortage of 2020, but a lot of us experienced the Clorox wipes shortage of 2020 as well. I had never got on my kids for using cleaning wipes. I mean, typically I'm like, yes, clean more, clean more, clean more. But I was like, no, one at a time. We got to save them. They don't have any at Costco. You know, we were just, we were rationing our cleaning in our house. But as you went to the store, you'd also pass aisles and shelves that were empty. One of the shelves at my grocery store that stayed empty the longest was the pasta shelf. Like, you just could not buy pasta. Like, is everybody carb loading for a marathon? Like, what's going on right now? Like, why can I not buy ziti? Um, a lot of you decided while you were, you know, quarantined, you were going to fix up your house. And so in 2020, we saw huge shortages of appliances and paint. I know we painted our house in 2020. We had to wait extra weeks because of scheduling and paint shortages. But some of you, you decided to develop new skills, new abilities. You tapped into, you know, your inner, you know, gardener. And so you bought up seeds and canning jars. Now, now I know a lot of you really invested in those seeds and nothing really came out of them. You couldn't grow anything. Um, but I know that in my house, we're big canners. Well, I say we. My wife is the big canner. I buy the jars. She fills them. And so I know I was searching all around trying to find the jars that we needed to buy to make jam and jelly and sauces. But as the, the year shifted from 2020 to 2021 to 2022, the shortage changed. And it shifted from a shortage in goods to a shortage in money. Just last month, the Bureau of Labor and Statistics released these numbers. These are only one month old. In the last year, energy prices have gone up 42%. Gas prices have gone up 60%. If you try to buy a new car, you know those are more expensive. Used vehicles are up 7% year over year. New vehicles are up 11% year over year. And if you go to the grocery store, everything is more expensive, especially bacon. I mean, we probably shouldn't be eating that much bacon. Um, maybe the sticker shock will help you eat less bacon. But if you like bacon, you're paying more than you ever have before. And one of the things I try to do as a pastor is think about these seats you sit in as we're preparing new things to walk through as a church family in terms of teaching. And this, this word shortage is a phrase that I had heard come up. The reality or the fear of a future shortage is something that came up. And I started thinking about the impact of a moment where you're going through a financial shortage. And one of the realities about shortages that I've discovered is that shortages reveal our stories. When you're sitting there and you get a bill and you're comparing the bill to your account balance and you go, man... There's not enough account balance to cover the bill. A story begins to emerge in your heart. A phrase comes to mind. You might say, okay, I'm going to have to figure this out. Man, we just can't win with money. 
Man, I hate insurance companies. All shorts, all sorts of, of stories emerge in that time about you, about the world, maybe the family you grew up in, maybe even about God. And what I've discovered about stories is that many of our stories are inherited and invented. The stories that we tell ourselves, they didn't just appear out of thin air. For many of you, the, the stories that you tell yourself about money, they came from your family. So my grandparents, they were Great Depression babies. And so as a result, they had all sorts of stories they told themselves about money. One of those stories was, you can never throw anything away. And so whenever I went to their house, they were always reusing things. They saved everything they ever got. And so my grandpa built my grandma a five-bedroom house. It was great because they had four kids, lots of room for the grandkids to come visit. But I discovered on one trip, something interesting was present in this house. As I went into each guest bedroom closet, it was full of my grandmother's clothes. I'm like, man, my grandmother just like has a huge wardrobe. And my grandmother would save her wardrobes by decade. This guest bedroom was her, her 40s wardrobe. This guest bedroom was the 50s wardrobe. This was the 60s wardrobe. And that was the 70s wardrobe. God bless my parents who went there when they finally moved out of that house because there was decades of clothing to get rid of. But that didn't just happen out of nowhere. They lived through a time when you couldn't get what you needed because everything was going to the war. And so that experience shaped them that's one of the reasons why growing up, we always reused Tupperware and Ziploc bags and other things. For some of you, your story isn't inherited, it's invented. Something happened to you, and you begin to tell yourself a story based upon that. Something happened to you, you had to make sense of that experience. And so I wonder this morning, maybe as we, we talk about starting school and kids, I want you to ask yourself this question. What stories did you hear at home about money? Think about the phrases that your parents used when you heard them talking about money. I know a lot of us heard this first phrase. What do you think? Money grows on trees? Maybe whenever you brought up something that you wanted to get, your parents always said, we can't afford it. We can't afford it. We can't afford it. Or maybe you didn't hear any conversations about money because your phrase in your family was, we don't talk about money in this household. And so you got pushed into adulthood with really no training, no background. You just had to figure it all out on your own. I know for me, I had a story that I bought into in my early 20s. In my early 20s, I allowed myself through a bunch of choices to be buried deep in credit card debt. I was living a lifestyle that was not matched to my income. And by the time I got engaged to my wife, at 23, 24, my yearly income was almost equal to my credit card debt. And this came out in premarital counseling. <laughs> God bless the couple who did our premarital counseling because they helped us surface so many things. There were points of contention in our marriage. Now, they didn't solve them. Premarital counseling doesn't solve your issues. It exposes them so you know what the landmines are that you're walking into. But it was in that season of my life that I realized I had bought into a story about money. 
And that story was this. This is what I told myself. Scott, you're a bad person and you should feel ashamed that you have so much credit card debt. There was a reason I hadn't been up front totally with my soon-to-be wife. Because I was ashamed. I was afraid she was going to reject me. I mean, because when you marry somebody, you marry them, including all of their debt. And I'm so grateful that in that moment, I wasn't rejected. I was loved. And over the next two years, we went on to pay off over $25,000 in credit card debt. But I will tell you that that story that I, I told myself that day in premarital counseling, it had tremendous power of my past. And here's what I learned that day. This is our big idea for today. The stories we tell, especially about money, they shape the future we experience. The stories you tell yourself about money, it's going to shape the future you're headed towards. So what I want to do today as we kick off this series called Shortage and talk about money is I want to walk you through three principles about stories, money, and God. And the first one comes from the book of Luke chapter 12. If you have your Bible, I want you to open there. Luke is one of three accounts of the life and the teaching of Jesus. It's the third in an order of four. Luke was not an eyewitness to these events. He was a doctor, and he went out and researched and talked to eyewitnesses, and he put together his biography of Jesus. And one of the most common themes in Luke is money. Jesus tells a ton of stories about money in the accounting that Luke gives here. And I believe that they give us tremendous insight into our experience with money and God. So I'm going to ask you this morning, if you have your Bible open, to stand. We're going to read this little section. My Bible calls it the parable of the rich fool. I'm not sure I agree with the titling, but I don't write the titles in the Bible. I just preach them. So here's how it begins. Someone from the crowd said to Jesus, and I can imagine there's a big crowd. Somebody's in the back and kind of just yells this. Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Jesus says, friend, who appointed me a judge or an arbitrator over you? He then told them, watch out and be on your guard against all greed because one's life is not in the abundance of his possessions. Then Jesus told them a parable or a story. A rich man's land was very productive, and he thought to himself, what should I do since I don't have anywhere to store my crops? I'll do this, he said. I'll tear down my barns, and I'll build bigger ones. I'll store all the grain and my goods there, and then I'll say to myself, self, you have many good years, many goods stored up for many years. Take it easy. Eat, drink, and enjoy yourself. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your life is demanded of you and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? That's how it is to the one who stores up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. Jesus, I pray that you would surface in our hearts today the stories that we have invented, inherited, and adopted about money. And for so many of us, those stories are holding us back. I pray that you'd lead us into freedom that you purchased on the cross in this area involving money. In your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. You can be seated. So three principles this morning. 
about stories, money, and God. If you're taking notes on that sheet Josh mentioned earlier, here's the first one. What we do with a shortage or a fear of a future shortage reflects our relationship with God. So it isn't always just that moment where you get a bill and you realize the bill is greater than your account balance. Sometimes it's the fear of a shortage coming in the future that triggers this story to kick in that reveals your relationship with God. And that's what happens in this story. This man has a huge year with his crops, so big that he doesn't have room to store all of his stuff. And so he says, I'm going to build bigger barns. He obviously was not a 21st century American. If he was, he would have said, I'm going to get a bigger storage unit. That's what we do. We buy bigger houses. We get more stuff. We have more stuff than we can hold on to. So instead of having a garage sale like a normal person or giving it to charity, we spend money on buying a, a big giant garage that is far from our house to put all of us our stuff that we don't have room for in. If you're in the storage business, you're making a killing today. But that moment with that man, he has a fear of a future shortage. What's going to happen in the future? If I don't have enough grain, I'm going to build a bigger barn. Then I'll have enough. I can sit back. I can relax. I can eat. I can be, drink. I can be merry. I'm good. But what we see in this story is the principle that Ron Blue explains this way. Every financial decision is a spiritual decision. And what happens in this parable that Jesus tells is that this man is foolish, not wise. Those are the two kind of patterns of wisdom literature in the Bible. There's the fool and then there's the wise man. And, and God says, you fool, you set yourself up for this future life that you think is guaranteed. But guess what? Tonight, your life is going to be over. And this big barn that you built with all your stuff, guess what? You cannot take it with you. Someone else is going to enjoy it. You thought you secured your own future, but you found yourself rich in wealth, but poor when it comes to God. Now, you may not be a farmer. You may not have a barn. But a similar opportunity is in front of you today. And the question that's being asked of you is the same question that was asked of this man in Luke 12. Am I looking to money or God for my source of peace? See, that this man's sin is not that he was wealthy or that he was successful in growing crops. That's not what he's criticized for. He's criticized for securing his future in his money and with himself as opposed to God. And the symbol of that is a bigger barn. It wasn't that he grew in bigger faith or bigger dependence on God. It's that he grew in a bigger dependence on himself and on his money, which in that day was symbolized with grain. And he thought he was fine from a future shortage, but as it turned out, his life was over before he thought. Now, as I was reading this story, I couldn't help but think about an experience that I've had and maybe you've had in the last year. You get your investment report. 
Just don't look at that if you can. It'll be a much better day, week, month, or quarter. I'm in a place where I hopefully it'll be a long time before I need that money. But for some of you, that is not money you will need one day. That is the money you need today. And you're beginning to see a shortage between what you thought you had saved and the needs you know you have. And in that place where you begin to do the mental math, you begin to experience the story that has been written in your life about money. And the place that God fits into that. And when you see a shortage or a future shortage potentially coming, that reveals really where you are at with God. Not just what you say, not just what you sing, not just the verses you have underlined in your Bible, but the true state of where you are in your relationship with God is revealed there because that's where fear comes in, anxiety comes in, and stress comes in. So the first principle is that a shortage or a fear of a future shortage, it reveals our relationship with God. But second principle is also true. Believing lies about money will lead to a broken story with money. And for many of us, the story that we've adopted or inherited or inherited money, it's leading to our experiencing a broken story with money that no longer works and is no longer helpful. And I've found that we tend to fall into one of three lies when it comes to money. Our enemy, Satan, tells us these lies so that he can lead us away from what God has for us when it comes to money. And here's the the first lie. You'll be happier if you have more money. And let's be honest, it doesn't matter how long you've been a Christian or been attending church, or maybe if this is your first Sunday in a long time or ever, all of us are victim to this lie. Because this is maybe one of the most pervasive lies in our culture. You'll be happier if you have more. Here's here's a little question I want to ask you. You don't need to raise your hand. Please don't raise your hand. How many of you are making more money now than you used to? How many of you, when it comes to your savings, have more money now than you used to? How many of you are happier now than you used to? See, this lie says that if you get more, you'll be happier. The problem is many of us are living in more today and happier has moved because happier is not an amount. It is just this general ethereal more. The wisest and wealthiest man who ever lived, Solomon said this in Ecclesiastes 5, the one who loves silver is never satisfied with silver And whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with income. This, too, is futile. John Rockefeller, who was one of the wealthiest men of the 20th century, by that point, who was a billionaire with a B, was asked, how much money until you're content? And he said, a little bit more than I have right now. And that's the lie that all of us hear. If you can just get more, you'll be happier Second lie, you'll feel more secure if you have more money. 
Maybe for you, it's not that you're just on this happiness quest. You just want to feel safe and secure and at peace. And you're like, Scott, if I could just reach this amount, then I would be okay. Or I was at that amount until the market went, and now I feel less secure. Again, if this is what you're saying, then you're revealing the answer to the question in the last principle. Is your security attached to God or to money? Because if it's attached to a certain amount of money, you can get that amount of money and not have God involved in the equation. Proverbs 23 says, don't wear yourself out to get rich because you know better. Stop. As soon as your eyes fly to money, it disappears for it makes wings for itself and flies like an eagle to the sky. And you're like, that's my uh, 401k right now. Just flying like an eagle away. And that's the problem. When you say, if I have more, I'll feel secure, you're putting your security in something that is inherently insecure. Here's maybe the hardest lie. Number three. God's holding out on you by not giving you more money. See, if you feel like, okay, it's not that I want to be happy. It's not that I want to be secure. I just feel like things would be better if I had more money and you're not getting more money, but someone else is then our enemy begins to whisper in your ear, God is holding out on you. Because that's what he has been whispering since the garden. If you go back to Genesis 3, the very first lie told to humanity and the very first sin started like this. Now the serpent was the most cunning of all the wild animals that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, did God really say you can't eat from any tree in the garden? And the one said to the serpent, we may eat from the fruit of the trees in the garden, but about the fruit of the tree in the middle of the garden, God said, you must not eat it or touch it or you will die. No, you will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman. In fact, God knows that when you eat it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Same temptation, same lie, different context, different person. You watch somebody else get a promotion. You watch somebody else buy a bigger house. Or someone else go on vacation. Someone else upgrade. Someone else doesn't seem to have stress in their life over money. And all of us are vulnerable to the lie, God must love them more. He must be holding out on and I warn you about these lies because lies are the tool our enemy uses to lead us into a broken story. I was living a broken story when at 23 years old, my income was fairly close to my debt. And I felt like not only was I in a terrible spot, but I couldn't tell anyone. Because what would they say to me? What would they think about me? The only way I was going to get help is if I told someone. But if I told someone, maybe I was going to be in an even worse spot. And that led me into a broken story where month after month, I spent more than I had. I saw the balance grow every month on my credit card. And I found myself more and more in bondage, further and further from where God wanted me to be. 
And I think some of you today, you're living a broken story when it comes to money. And the enemy is lying to you and taking you further and further from where God wants you to be. But here's the good news, principle number three. God helps us to rewrite our money stories. Part of what God wants to do is to go into that place where there's a story you've adopted, inherited, or invented, and he wants to help you rewrite it. And a vision of that happens in Psalm 112. Let me read this passage to you. The psalmist says this. He says, Hallelujah. Happy is the person who fears the Lord, taking great delight in his commands. His descendants will be powerful in the land. The generation of the upright will be blessed. Wealth and riches are in his house and his righteousness endures forever. Light shines in the darkness for the upright. He is gracious, compassionate, and righteous. Good will come to the one who lends generously and conducts his business fairly. He will never be shaken. The righteous one will be remembered forever. He will not fear bad news. His heart is confident, trusting in the Lord. His heart is assured he will not fear. I don't know whether we're headed for a recession or not. You're going to find me in a lot of places. One of them will not be as a pundit on CNBC. I'm not a financial advisor, nor do I pretend to be one. But let me tell you, bad news is coming. Financial crisis is coming. You are going to experience a shortage. How do I know this? Because I've been alive for 38 years. I've watched it happen again and again and again. How do you become the kind of person who does not fear bad news? How do you become the kind of person whose heart is assured and is not afraid? How do you become the kind of person whose heart is confident, trusting in the Lord, even when you see a shortage or you fear a shortage? You become that kind of person when the story you're writing and telling about money aligns with God's, and it's a story that leads you to the life that he has for you. That way, when the shortage comes, you are secure. You're not afraid. See, with God, the story of your past doesn't have to be the story of your future. If you told me that at 23, I would not have believed that. Because I didn't see a way out of debt. I was a pastor. I wasn't a pastor yet. I was a seminary intern. The word lucrative is not typically attached to that. I knew I didn't have a way to grow my income. And the only thing I seemed to be good at was growing my debt. But in that season, God began to rewrite the story that I was telling myself. And where I am today is a place that I couldn't even imagine then. And that is my prayer for you. You may be in a place that feels far from secure, far from happy, and you and God are not in a good place because of where you've gotten with money. But where you have been doesn't have to be where you are one day. Not because you become some mini-me of Dave Ramsey, but because God rewrites your story.
And I want to help you do that today with our practices. We talk about practices to put into practice everything we hear. So here's the first practice we're going to put into practice this week. I want to encourage you to start a conversation with a trusted friend about the story you've adopted about money. Now, I know that you would rather have a conversation with a friend about anything else but money. I know that it's going to feel weird, awkward, anxious, and nerve-wracking to have this conversation. But if you are not in a good place with money and you're living a broken story with money, you're not going to get out of that on your own. That's why we talk about groups. That's why if you just come here, as Josh said, and look at the back of somebody's head, you're not going to experience the community you need to step out of broken stories and rewrite your stories. These are things that God wants us to do in community. You're going to need other people. And what are you, what are you going to discuss with that friend? You're going to discuss with them the ways that that story you've adopted has helped you and the ways that it's hurt you. Some of you are living a story that at one point was really helpful for you. It helps you get through a hard season. It helps you navigate something challenging. Maybe it got you where you are today, but now it's holding you back. Part of my story was that I, I grew up with parents who were fantastic with money. They taught classes around money. They set me up with that really well, and then I didn't follow it. And I didn't think I could talk to them about that because I felt shame. The story they gave me helped me to a point, but then it hurt me because it felt like an impossible standard that I wasn't with. So I had to abandon this idea that I wasn't measuring up to my parents' standard and recognize that God didn't love me based upon how, how well I managed money. And I had to leave that story behind and then begin to ask him to rewrite it. So that's the first thing. I want you to find somebody that you trust and just start that conversation. Secondly, I want to invite you to marinate your heart and your mind in the truth of Psalm 23. And we're going to start that right now. So if you have your Bible, I want you to close it up. If you have your phone out and you're texting, tell that friend you'll text them in a couple minutes. If you're taking notes, put your notes away. And I just want you to close your eyes. And take a deep breath. And once you blow it out, I want you to take another one. And then take one more. I want you to listen with your total attention to David's words in Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I have all that I need. He lets me rest in green meadows. He leads me beside peaceful streams. He renews my strength. He guides me along right paths, bringing honor to his name. Even when I walk through the darkest valley, I will not be afraid, for you are close beside me. Your rod and your staff protect and comfort me. 
You prepare a feast for me in the presence of my enemies. You honor me by anointing my head with oil. My cup overflows with blessings. Surely your goodness and your unfailing love will pursue me all the days of my life. And I will live in the house of the Lord forever. With your eyes still closed, let's do one more breath. To marinate your mind on something, you got to hear it a couple times. And I want to read this again, but I want to ask you some questions as I do. The Lord is my shepherd. I have all that I need. Be honest with yourself right now. Do you believe you have all that you need? Do you really believe that God has given you all that you need? He lets me rest in green meadows. He leads me beside peaceful streams. Do you feel free to rest and breathe? Deeply today? He renews my strength. He guides me along right paths, bringing honor to his name. Are you willing to be led by God? Or be honest, do you have to be in charge? Have you let him renew you? Or are you just exhausted because you're trying to save yourself? Even when I walk through the darkest valley, I will not be afraid, for you are close beside me. Your rod and your staff protect and comfort me. Do you believe you're safe with God? Do you trust that you're safe in his care? You prepare a feast for me in the presence of my enemies. You honor me by anointing my head with oil. My cup overflows with blessings. Do you believe that God wants to bless you? That he wants to make your cup overflow with blessings. Surely your goodness and your unfailing love will pursue me all the days of my life and I will live in the house of the Lord forever. How do you feel about the future? Are you worried? Are you concerned? Are you scared? Did you know that God's goodness is pursuing you? His love is coming after you, chasing you. Did you know that you're secure in his house as his beloved child? God, we pray that you would help us to abide in the truth of this song. We pray that you would change our outlook and our stories this week. God, may you expose the stories we've been telling. May you reveal the lies that we've been believing. And may, may you point us to the truth that we have been doubting. 
if our stories are going to shape our future, God, we pray that our stories are yours and they shape a future that is good.